This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. Welcome to Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly report from the Michigan Democratic Party. I'm Lavora Barnes, and the word this week, Bidenomics. It's been said that moving the nation's economy is like turning around a large ship. It takes time. But that transformation is well underway after two and a half years of Joe Biden's leadership. Bidenomics is rooted in the simple idea that we need to grow the economy from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. An economy where we build more in America, empower and invest in American workers, and promote competition to lower costs for working families. Implementing that economic vision and plan and decisively turning the page on the era of trickle-down economics has been a defining project of the Biden presidency. We're seeing the beginning of fixing our roads, bridges, airports, and ports, the investment in bringing high-speed internet to every home in America, investments in combating climate change, and investments in the transition to electric-powered cars and trucks. Just this week, we learned that, thanks to the Biden economic plan, more than $1.6 billion will be invested in providing high-speed internet to underserved areas all across Michigan. As other parts of these laws become fully implemented, our already strong economy will continue to get stronger. As Democrats, we look at polls showing a majority of Americans currently disapprove of the president's handling of the economy and ask ourselves, why? The economy is strong and getting stronger, record levels of employment, the lowest unemployment among African Americans and Hispanics ever, Wages are going up, inflation's going down, manufacturing, returning to within our borders, and consumer confidence is on the rise. We saw the same thing 14 years ago with Obamacare. In the beginning, Obamacare was an idea that was viciously and often unfairly attacked by Republicans. Remember all the talk about death panels? But as Obamacare became real, when people started seeing the benefits in their own lives, it became hugely popular. Our job now is to continually tell the story of how Bidenomics is improving the lives of average Americans for generations to come after four years of Republican failures. Also on our podcast agenda this week, efforts led by Michigan Democrats speaking directly to the loss of trust in government after literally decades of inaction by Republican-run legislatures There is movement on ethics in government. In a moment, we'll talk ethics with a leader in the state Senate, leading on strengthening Michigan's woefully inadequate laws on transparency in government. The 2022 voter-approved mandate for financial disclosures by elected officials is just the beginning, according to Senator Jeremy Moss, who joins the podcast. After this update on the week's news on policy and politics in Michigan with Dorian Titus. Here are some of the stories on Michigan policy and politics we're following. The legislature has wrapped up work on a new state budget for the 2023-24 to fiscal year. The budget uses a record surplus to replace water lines, fix roads and bridges, spruce up state parks, and build low-income housing, all while cutting taxes, bolstering state reserve funds, and trying to reverse the significant learning loss Michigan K-12 students suffered during the pandemic. 
It also includes a nearly $1 billion tax cut for Michigan seniors and lower-income working families. The school aid budget increases K-12 per pupil grants by 5%. It also funds school meals for all, a $160 million program to provide free breakfasts and lunches to all students from pre-kindergarten through 12th grade. Democratic lawmakers who pushed the program said making the meals universal with the help of federal funds will remove any stigma for students who receive them. It also includes a significant funding increase for students considered to be at risk of not meeting educational goals. Districts will receive more money in the upcoming school year for economically disadvantaged students, English language learners, and students who receive special education. Non-budget-related bills sent to the governor over the week include a package of bills expanding voter rights, allowing public universities to sell alcoholic drinks in stadiums on game day, banning child marriage and providing protections for sexual assault victims. In an effort to further protect voter rights, a package of bills dubbed the Michigan Voting Rights Act has been introduced in the state Senate. The bills prohibit voter denial, dilution, and or suppression, require and expand the jurisdictions that must translate election-related information into languages other than English to ensure that language minority groups in our state have an equal opportunity to participate in the voting process enhance and clarify protections for voters with disabilities or who otherwise need assistance to vote, prohibit intimidation, coercion, and deceptive practices of government and private actors with the intent or results in protected classes not participating in the election. The action can be before, during, or after the election. Democratic leaders have decried the U.S. Supreme Court ruling overturning affirmative action programs. The Legislative LGBTQ Plus Caucus issued a statement warning that, quote, while the hypothetical situation laid out in this case targeted the LGBTQ Plus community specifically, make no mistake, this decision is the canary in the coal mine that will lead to discrimination against other protected classes. In a win for LGBTQ advocates, Legislation banning conversion therapy by mental health professionals to change the gender identity or sexual orientation of minors is headed to Governor Whitmer's desk. Michigan is now poised to become the 22nd state to ban conversion therapy, a practice that researchers, experts, and LGBTQ advocates say increases the risk of mental health issues and suicide attempts among LGBTQ youths. The Biden-Harris administration has announced a new groundbreaking investment in affordable, accessible, high-speed internet. Thanks to President Biden's leadership and once-in-a-generation investments in American communities, the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program will provide Michigan with an additional $1.5 billion in funding to help bring reliable, high-speed internet to communities across the state. Governor Whitmer said the funding means expanding high-speed internet access and digital equity to over 200,000 Michiganders in unserved and underserved areas across the state. The Supreme Court has ruled against a right-wing interpretation of the Constitution, which would give state legislatures the right to overturn the vote in federal elections. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson said, quote, This is a victory for Michigan and for our democracy. The independent state legislature theory would eliminate critical checks and balances in our legal and democratic process and has no basis in the language of our Constitution. The court was correct to soundly reject it. Today's ruling, she added, is also a victory for Michigan's citizen-led and voter-enacted independent redistricting process and the two recent voter-enacted amendments to Michigan's state constitution that have expanded options to vote in our state for every eligible citizen.
Had the court ruled differently, a future legislature could vote to abolish the commission and return to a system of partisan gerrymandering. Twice indicted former President Donald Trump in a one-hour fundraising speech in Oakland County falsely claimed that the transition to electric vehicles would be devastating to auto workers. In Trump's alternate reality, as Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes put it, he clearly didn't notice the tens of thousands of auto jobs brought to Michigan that Democrats secured last year, jobs that Trump sent overseas. Nor did he notice that Democrats are creating thousands of good-paying union jobs. In all fairness, Chairperson Barnes noted that helping the middle class was never his thing anyways. That's this week's summary. From Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyus. Thank you, Dorian. Senator Jeremy Moss of Southfield chairs the Senate Elections and Ethics Committee, where he's been a leader on both of those critical issues. He discussed both elections and ethics reforms with our Walt Sorg. Senator Jeremy Moss, a pleasure to welcome you to the podcast, and you've had a pretty good week. I've had a pretty good year <laughs> all around, and this is owed to the voters who sent a new majority with real priorities, unlike the last majority. Let's start with what you have already accomplished and sent to the governor's desk, and that is a huge package of election reforms that go beyond what the voters really asked for in last year's election. What are some of the highlights of the package the governor's in the process of signing? And this journey does start several years ago with the last majority chasing after these conspiracies, these false claims of fraud. And then they, the Republicans in the Senate, introduced some 39 bills to change the way that we vote that no clerk asked for and no voter asked for. Only the conspiracy theorists asked for and so we, on the heels of this large, overwhelming passage of Proposal 2, which I remind folks, passed with 60% of the vote. So you don't get to 60% with just Democrats. That's Democrats and Republicans and independents who wanted to down these barriers to voting. We went through a meticulous and deliberative process with election officials and administrators at every level, from the secretary of state to county clerks to municipal clerks, to implement that proposal and really come up with this historic new way for folks to access their ballot through nine days, at least nine days of in-person early voting. And I'm really excited to have chaired this effort in the Senate as chairman of the Elections and Ethics Committee and catch up to the 20 other states or so that give their voters more access to the ballot than just to wedge it in on a Tuesday, a middle of the work week. We need to provide flexible choices for people to exercise their constitutional rights. The one remaining big issue for elections is one that the clerks have raised and uh, you and Representative Cernoglow over on the House side have been working on, and that is the date of the primary. A lot of the clerks are asking you to change that into June, whereas right now we're in August. What are the prospects of that? What are the difficulties you're encountering with it? Yeah, that's not something we can just wave a wand and make happen overnight. We have to, again, have a lot of voices at the table to talk about the impact of that. And I know that we have extra requirements on clerks, especially in that post-election time frame. And there's questions on whether or not they have the capabilities to get some of these post-election requirements done between the August primary and the November election, which is why we're hearing from clerks to move it up to June. And I think that this is a worthy discussion and we're going to continue to be just as meticulous and thoughtful because that will be another big change for a lot of processes if we continue to work toward that direction. So, but overall, 
That's how I'm running this committee. Even some of the typical opposition to voting rights, the people who usually come and just oppose all bills that Democrats offer and kind of chase the conspiracy theories of Republicans, they sat in our committee process for proposal two. And at the end of one of our committee meetings, one of them, one of the group's organizers says, you know what? I learned a lot today. Things I'd never heard before. I'm going to have to take some stuff back and think about our opposition. So it's a new day to even just running the committees, grounding it in truth, in data, uplifting the voices of election administrators, upholding voter rights. So we will do the same with everything that comes before our committee, have really thoughtful, deliberative analysis of what we're trying to do, which is in stark contrast to the last several years of bills being drafted, fueled by chaos, conspiracy theories, and confusion. And it also requires you to be really bipartisan, too. The reality is that most of the county clerks are Republicans. Absolutely. And when you think of last year, the voting rights restrictions offered by Senate Republicans, all of which were vetoed by Governor Whitmer, those were one-sided, did not engage with clerks. Clerks opposed them. Secretary of State opposed them. And Senate Democrats opposed them. Look at that in contrast to the product that we've come up with. Clerks were at the table. Clerks helped to guide through the discussion during our committee hearing. All Prop 2 bills have passed with bipartisan support, some of them with overwhelming bipartisan support. So when you actually take this job seriously, as I'm doing as elections chairman in the Senate, and want to create a product that benefits the clerks and the voters, rather than benefiting the conspiracy theorists, you can reach across the aisle and allow some of those saner minds that really do want to do good by their constituents as well to join us on voting rights. Thanks to the voters of Michigan and the various initiatives that have been on the ballot, you started in a pretty good place on elections. But when it comes to the other half of your committee's work on ethics, you're starting with statutes that are generally ranked as some of the worst in the country. What direction are you going in? What are going to be the priorities as you implement both proposal, the proposal from last year and go beyond for ethical reform within state government? Well, I've been harping on this for a while now, and I've been very frustrated with the majority preventing our efforts on ethics from going forward. You might recall when I was a state house member back in 2015, I drafted a FOIA expansion. Right now, you cannot request documents of your legislators or your governor because the law prevents you from seeing what we do in Lansing. And so I worked alongside then-Representative Ed McBroom, a Republican from the UP, to draft some 10 bills that got out of the House with overwhelming support, but the Senate always blocked them. Fortunately, Ed McBroom and I then ran for the Senate in 2018 and continued these efforts. And again, Republican leadership did not want to lift this veil on how people's government operates. Now that we are in the majority, all of the pieces are in place. And I am going to make sure that this is con a continuing priority to allow residents more access, just as some 48 other states provide their residents with information requests on how decisions are made and to learn more about their state government. So we have pushed these bills in the minority, and now we are in the majority to actually make them happen. And on top of that, as you mentioned, Proposal 1 directs us to be the 49th state that requires some financial disclosure of lawmakers and other state government officials to ensure to the public that we're acting on 
their behalf and not our own financial gain or interests. And so this is a direction from the voters from proposal one. And we are very excited to usher that proposal in statute moving forward. So I have a lot of passion in this space as well. And I'm really honored to be able to usher through some of the most institutional changing legislation through this committee, whether it's voting rights, ethics, disclosure, transparency, or accountability, I am here for it and very excited to to usher this process all to the benefit of the people that we serve. One of the biggest stumbling blocks in the previous session under Republican leadership was the Senate Majority Leader, a Republican senator who is right now under investigation for his use of dark money. Does dark money come into play as you work on these bills? Yes and yes. Good. And we really want to rein in unaccountable financial contributions to these fundraising accounts. We need to strengthen current law, but we've seen this extreme abuse of, quote, nonprofits that really get really into this political space and deviate from their mission as a nonprofit. And I'm very eager to tackle campaign finance reform. It is long overdue in Michigan. And in many regards, the Republican majority took us in the wrong direction, opening up more untraceable, dark sources of money that are fueled into our politics. The more disclosure, the better. And so I am very eager to utilize this chairmanship to engage on serious campaign finance reform because too many people have abused it. And that has now become some of the methods that some people just operate under. And a lot of them now are going to find that they're going to be subjected to some points of justice here. And rather than have all this information come out on a criminal investigation, we need more disclosure on the front end. I've been hanging around the Capitol in one form or another for more than 50 years now. And I find it rather ironic that if you are successful and probably will be successful with these various disclosures, it will actually help the vast majority of your colleagues. My experience has been that the overwhelming majority of elected officials and the overwhelming majority of lobbyists are good, honorable people. And these disclosures will just help demonstrate the fact that it's a relatively small minority that are screwing things up. I totally agree with that. And I have built really good relationships, both with my Democratic colleagues and my Republican colleagues. And we can disagree on fundamental issues. And we do. But most people are there honorably serving for the right reasons. And these disclosures, whether it's document requests from our office, whether it's sources of fundraising, if you aren't doing anything wrong, you shouldn't have a problem with it. But the problem is that as with any industry, occupation, sector of our economy, there are bad actors. And these gaps, these transparency gaps have allowed them to soil the whole process for the rest of us. And so I see this as a practical effect of getting more information to Michigan residents on how their government operates. But And I say this too, I also hope there's a chilling effect that now that we're going to be subjected to these points of disclosure, both in our offices and our campaigns, I hope that somebody who may see an opportunity to sweep something under the rug would think twice because now they know it would be subjected to public scrutiny. So it, it shouldn't be this hard, especially when 48 other states have some sort of disclosure for their state legislators and governor, 48 other states 
have a requirement for a financial disclosure, personal financial disclosure forms for lawmakers. We are fighting to be the, among the last states that, that do this. And those governments operate just fine and people can get penalized if they abuse the law. We should be in that same category. Before we wrap up, let me shift over into another area where you have been in the leadership, and that is equal rights for all Michigan citizens. We've had two major rulings from the Supreme Court in just in the last few days. One, the affirmative action ruling overturning nearly 50 years of precedent. The other, basically giving businesses the right to discriminate. Is this a slippery slope situation in your mind? This is very troublesome and problematic and really demonstrates that voting really matters. And here in Michigan, I, the last campaign was definitely waged on the backs of LGBTQ folks, specifically the trans community. And Michiganders rejected that type of hatred and bigotry and installed a Democratic majority. And they knew that Democratic majority was going to lead on equal right protections for LGBTQ Michiganders. And we have, and we will continue to. This certainly is a setback, but it also should compel uh, Michiganders across our state who rejected the hate statewide to really engage in electoral politics and make sure that all of the things that we are doing here in Michigan aren't defeated at the federal level. And so this is a call to action. I think one of the main things our Democratic majority has demonstrated is that if you vote for something, it can be delivered to you. We're a Democratic majority that scrapped that 1931 abortion felony. We're a Democratic majority that instituted common sense gun safety legislation. We're a Democratic majority that finally got rid of the pension tax on retirees and boosted working families tax credit. And we're a Democratic majority uh, that delivered on equal protection in the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act. That was what you voted for. And we are living up to our promises. And so I, I hope that our state legislature infuses trust and credibility with voters that if you vote for something, it can be delivered to you. Senator Jeremy Moss, thank you so much for the great work you're doing in the committee, in the Senate, on behalf of the people. Thanks, Walt. I appreciate you. That's our report this week. Our great thanks to Senator Jeremy Moss for his work on the core democracy issues of ethics and elections. And we urge you to share a link to this podcast on your social media and expand the network of Michigan Democrats receiving updates on your party's work to move Michigan forward. And we welcome your comment. Just email us at comment at partyonthepeninsulas.com. I'm LaVora Barnes. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week and hope you will be too. Party on the Peninsula is a production of the Michigan Democratic Party. 